We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike, no Darius today. And we're recording this in the morning. So we have a, a trio of games tonight on Monday night, a couple of closeout games with the Celtics and Sixers, and then a great game five between Dallas and Utah that we're excited about. Uh, but we will not be talking about it because it has not happened yet, even though by the time the pod comes out, uh, it will have happened. But what did happen last night, Mike, was the New Orleans Pelicans took it to the Phoenix Suns and tied up the series at four. And now we have ourselves a three-game series. And of all of the things that stand out to me about this series, the Pelicans being not afraid of them at all is right at the top. Tell me what you're seeing out of a kind of unexpected uh, tight series that, I don't know, man, I think the Suns are in for it. They're going to have to win this series. It's not going to be easy over these last three games. And we weren't expecting that. What have you seen from that series, Mike? This series is a bit of a microcosm of the whole playoffs in that it's just been really enjoyable and the level of competition is extremely high. Yeah. Perhaps now, or this could be one of those where we save it for Darius, but Pete, you made a point and we've been, we were discussing it in a thread and maybe hit on it in one of the podcasts, but you were talking about the devaluation of the regular season. And I think that I pushed back some on that while ultimately agreeing, but the bottom line for me is that some of these players, particularly the stars, have have clearly been trying to manage through the regular season. But guess what we're getting now? Like now we're getting it all. Yeah, right? it's great. It's so good. So hopefully there's some middle ground there where where the regular season doesn't get as devalued as maybe this regular season did. But if this is the payoff, <laughs> there's a there's a little bit of part of me where it's like, hey, let's just kind of let's chill out a little bit on what we're on evaluating the regular season too harshly and then just try to enjoy some of this. So that so this series definitely represents um, some of what that is. And in terms of New Orleans, 
in terms of New Orleans, yeah, Riggs thinks so too. He, by the way, he just he just busted his way through double door locks to try to he get gotta, to you. He got to say <laughs> hi to us, man. Like, yeah, it sounds like he got thwarted too. My poor like- wife. <laughs> oh man, it's like yeah, there was there were multiple screens set up there, and he just ran all of them over um, to try to get out here. And then very you know, impressive. Finally- that's that's playoff defense, Mike. Yeah, you got to fight yeah. through screens. Yeah, Riggs he, knows what's he wanted up. to get to his buddy. So, all right, so I, I say all this to get to New Orleans, and they've got some dogs on that team in terms of, of competitors. And Brandon Ingram is like that. And I, mm-hmm. I know that the way that some people perceived him in his Laker days, I always felt like was unfair, right? He was 18, 19, and was expect, since he was the number two pick, the world was expected of him. His three-point shot wasn't falling in part because his legs weren't quite there yet, but his stroke, I always thought was better. So, but he is ultimately still um, a, a real, just intense competitor. And now yeah. he's got some guys with him. So Herb Jones comes into that mix, um, is an absolute dog in that context. You've got Alvarado coming off the bench, just mm-hmm. loving, like in a... Like Chris Paul without any of the pedigree, but in terms of the competitive fire that he has. So he's out there playing like that. Najee Marshall, uh, even he comes in for 10 minutes off the bench, like Trey Murphy, the third. So all of these guys, with the exception of Alvarado, are also big and long. And yep. Valanciunas and so, too. That's a big dude that plays hard and he's a handful. Larry yeah. Larry Nance, like you could go down the line. They got a lot of those guys. Yeah, Nance competes. And then that kind of allows McCollum to be able to do his skill stuff, mm-hmm. right, in the midst of it. But they've only got one guy. Like that. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's so Devontae Graham too, right? Devontae right, Graham but the Suns were also have several small guard, guards too, right? Between yes. Chris Paul and Payne. And I feel like there's one other guy. But yeah, yeah that's Shamit. a Yeah, Shamit. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a it's a good mix that way. And then what's unfair to Phoenix in some senses is, well, they're without I know that Booker's called their best player. Now, I still think I would give the slight edge to Chris Paul as the as just the the driver of that boat to an extent, but even if Booker may have surpassed him this year, but that is the reason why this series is tighter, right? This series is tied. It's because of Booker's injury, I think. I'm not saying it wouldn't have been Forgive me, Mike, for not wanting to hear from Phoenix about one of your top guys being out and that impacting a playoff series. Yeah. So it's like all of this stuff is true. It's a great series. It's super competitive credit to new Orleans, but you know, I don't think we would probably be, I had picked before the series started a gentleman sweep. I think a lot of people picked a sweep, but I thought new Orleans would pluck a game away, right? Just with their being a little better than people think in a nice rhythm. Uh, They're super team unity right now, right? All rowing in one direction and have found a way to, play a certain brand of basketball without Zion and it's been impressive. So yeah, it's a, I still think that I still think Phoenix wins the series, but I I would be, I would be surprised if new Orleans didn't find a way to win one more game. Almost like I I think this series could absolutely go seven and Phoenix is going to have to kind of go the distance. Like the Lakers had to often in that 2009 champ in 2010, those two championship runs where it's like, wait, why are they playing in game seven? And yeah, so I am I'm into that for sure, but I I would still pick Phoenix. I agree, but New Orleans has a great combination of having a physical advantage, not being scared of them at all, and I think they have some real intimate knowledge of how Phoenix goes about their business with Willie mm-hmm. Green, he was an assistant for them last year and I think that they're both tactically and in terms of personnel. There were so many 
interactions in that second half in particular where Chris Paul, so much of Chris Paul's game, I think, is mental and trying to get an edge over his opponent where he actually lost that. There was an interaction where B.I. was like, yo, you want to talk your shit? We can go back there and, and fight. And like, I've already punched you in the face once. Right. And so B.I. is not going to be in- intimidated by Chris Paul. Jose Alvarado, Herb Jones was on the ground and Chris Paul comes by. I'm, I'm going to help you up. He's like, nah, I, I don't need your help up. I'm going to wait for my teammate to come by. And so I think that there's a mental edge in the playoffs and in a series, especially that usually a one seed, even, even with injuries and things like that, usually a one seed has exerted by this point of the series that I'm with you, Mike. I think the Pels get at least one more win. And I, I do think that they have a legit shot of winning the series. Where would you put like percentage wise? What would you put the Pelicans chances of, of winning this? Right after I said what I said, the previous, the, the previous little uh, soliloquy there, I'm like, you know what though? That Lakers team, I knew they were winning game seven. You know, right. when it got to there. Yeah, do you feel better. confident about they Phoenix? Had, no, not not to the same degree because and here's part of the reason why. Because the Lakers, that team, they won most of their games by 20 points. You know, and then they just sort of did it, Powell and Lamar and Bynum were just like, We're good. You know, we don't have to and that's not been the case with Phoenix in this series, right? With the last couple of games. So like they had they needed an all-time Chris Paul fourth quarter where he made either five or six straight shots, yeah. tough contested shots. And he can't do that every night. And the issue that they have without Booker, they don't, it's a little bit like what the Lakers had when AD went out and we were kind of all thinking, well, maybe Kuzma can step up into this next primary, go go get a bucket in, in at least somewhat of an efficient way. And their wings don't do that. Uh, Mikhail Bridges is not quite there yet. Like mm-hmm. he is not, he has not been that, He's been good in terms of being on the floor a lot and playing defense and stuff, but he's not scaring New Orleans when he goes into some of his ISO stuff, which they've gone to a couple of times. Jay Crowder, no, not happening. Right. You know, when off the bench, they bring in, well, actually, so Cam Johnson's been starting, right? But same thing, like he's not really, and whereas New Orleans, not only do you have Ingram, but you have McCollum and you have either one of those guys that can carry that way. And you can even get a little bit more in the actual post from Valencia Yunus than Aiden, who's that play finisher. But you're not just going to give him the ball at the beginning of a possession and say, all right, go to work. And and that, to me, is a real thing in this series. And, and that's where Booker would have made such a massive difference because Chris Paul's out, no problem, run the offense through Booker. Like, he'll get you into, into a good shot, either for himself by drawing attention, or, or either for himself or by drawing attention for somebody else. And to me, that's something where I absolutely could see New Orleans winning the series. I just, if pressed to it, it's really hard to go against what you've seen all year and sort of give Phoenix some level of benefit of the doubt. But I am probably like a lot of people watching this, enjoying New Orleans and sort of rooting just in in a subconscious in a way. And it's just fun. I'm not usually like a big upset person where I, I watch the NCAA tournaments and I'm like, oh, I had those great, great Cinderella story. Sure, sure. I'm not always like that because, uh, but in this case, it's hard not to get wrapped into that one eight you know, and be rooting for, and really one ten. Right? Yeah. This Pelicans team that had to go on the road twice um, to even qualify. So, yeah, man, I don't know what the percentage is for that, but I would say it's much closer to 55, 45, or 60, 40 uh, than than I was originally thinking. Wow. I'm in the 30, 35% range. So not, not quite to that level of, of confidence, well, in the so, Pelicans, so, but I see it. I definitely see it. I, and I, by 60, 40, I mean, 60 Phoenix, 40 Pelicans, sure. but yes. Yeah, so, sure. 
So yeah, so somewhere, somewhere, I'm somewhere between 35 and 40. Let's take a break. And when we come back, uh, I want to zero in on your point about um, shot creation and creating that advantage in the first place in the absence of Booker. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is something that I think goes back to a a lot of our conversations about the Lakers and how important is ball handling and shot creation and how much of it do you need? And we've talked over the years about the idea of there being three parts of any given play. You have the advantage creation, the advantage extension, and then the finishing, right? And sometimes the same player can do all three or two of them, uh, but what you the types of players you're talking about mike a guy like booker defensively i have to commit more than one player to him on the initial action if i'm the defensive coach right if i'm coaching against him and i got devin booker coming off of a screen it's like i can't just lock and trail on him and have my big stay home or he's going to just give me buckets all day and so that right there that's the advantage creation I can't guard you one-on-one if I'm the opposing coach with just one of my guys. I got to put a little more in terms of the assets I have to use on you, which means I'm taking them away from somewhere else. And in that, that's where the advantage is created. And then that's where your players like Bridges can help extend that advantage. A player like Crowder, they have a lot of real professionals on the Suns that know their system well and can, you know, make the right pass, make the right cut. We've talked about this a lot this season where they're they're really in the right spot a lot of the time. But in the absence of that, when you give the ball to a Bridges, when you give the ball to a Johnson, even a guy like Aiton, who I actually think has stepped into that role fairly well, it's just they haven't, I feel like they've kind of lost their third guy in a lot of ways because Aiton has had to step into that and Bridges has struggled from three, uh, uh, Payne has, has not been good in this series at all. And so that inability to create advantage, like to me though, this is point God time, right? If you're the point God, Mike, it's about creating open shots for your team. That's what I want to see from Chris Paul. He had four points. He had 11 assists in this game, but he played 35 minutes. You can't have four points in a game that Devin Booker doesn't play in. And yeah, he hit those shots at, at, at in that game one. He's also getting his hand checked, right? He didn't like there's concerns about his hand and his ability to get shots up. So I think that factors into all of this. But to me, Mike, like, is this something against a big, long New Orleans team like can Chris Paul do that against a team like this this is the problem 
with the Hall of Fame point guard that is amongst the best ever to do it, that happens when he doesn't have enough help. You know, he and I would even put James Harden into somewhat of a similar role when you ask these guys to do too much of the shot creation and not just for themselves as, as Chris Paul has to do and Harden would do even a little bit more, but then also be the guy that's getting every other shot for a teammate. That is when the size that you put on him wears him down. And and how could it not, right? How could it not over the course of a series? The one player who seemed to be able to find answers to that historically as a small guard was Isaiah Thomas. But what I don't know, and this is, I guess I'd have to have this conversation with like a Michael Thompson or somebody like that is, how much defenses at the time were just trapping and throwing two big wings. And I don't think it was as much, Pete. Like, yeah. you, know, you you watch those Showtime Lakers teams close. You know, more often than not, wouldn't they just sort of have the point guard defend the point guard? Yes. And also, that Detroit team was really good in that. And part of the reasons, one of the reasons I like Miami is that when a team kind of have a, has a distributed offensive attack, um, Bill Lane Beer was a stretch five back when that didn't really exist that much. So they were, they were great on defense. He had a running partner in Dumars where if they threw a lot of attention at Isaiah Dumars could kick your ass too. And then Vinnie yeah. Johnson off of the bench. And so like that, like I feel like you have to have a certain type of build and, and players around them. And then yes, the game is so different that in some ways it's apples to oranges in the first place. Yeah. I mean, it's just, we're just like, so let's say if that bulls team, and I don't think that they had, again, they've gotten to that point yet. They were still just pups, but all right, Jordan and Pippen. Like, yeah. That's who you're not defending the two and the three or like you're defending Dumars and Isaiah Thomas, and then we'll eventually give you some help from one of the bigs. Like if Chicago and Chicago, of course, did eventually beat Detroit. And and I would mm-hmm. love to go back and kind of watch that right in this in thinking about it in this context. All right. Well, how much did they just say, hey, Mike, like, like cut off that water. Let's not do that. Let's do that this summer, Mike. Let's yeah. watch some games this summer. And, and yeah, we should do that. And, yeah. And so you think then about going back to this Chris Paul series and without Booker, without that running mate and. Cameron Payne has been bad, you know, for yeah. he's so off the bench. He's got and he he killed the Lakers last year after AD went down. It's like he wasn't missing a shot. He's scoring at the rim. He's competing. So, so far, Pete, in their four games, he's shooting twenty nine point six percent from the field overall for four point eight points and one point three assists. And that's in some decent minutes, too. That's in. Yeah, so so sixty four minutes played. It's about 16 per game, at least enough to be doing something. And, you know, Mikael Bridges shooting 22% from three, 47 overall, you know, 13 points. They're just not Shamit, right? His, he's not played nearly as much, but has not been effective. They haven't had anybody else aside from Aiton, who a lot of his stuff is getting set up by Chris Paul. And right. this is, again, why. So going into the playoffs, I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth. I think by default, I sort of reluctantly picked Phoenix to win but was trying to find ways to push back and be like, they're not this. So Zach sure, Lowe no, had a couple of podcasts yeah. right, where we were talking about, yeah, look, well, they're eight wins better than everybody else in the regular season. And I was kind of like, ah, y- yes, but, you know, they they did that by, they had the fire from losing in the finals the previous season. They, for the most part, stayed very healthy. Yes, Booker missed a few games here and there. Yes, Paul ended up missing games late, but they are not this, they are not this powerhouse talent team. Right. That has they've got a lot. They've got a perfect build of if we stay healthy, Paul and Booker, plus these bigger wings that just do three and D stuff, you know, somewhat similar to the Lakers, except the difference making between the Lakers when they're two stars could also kill you on defense in LeBron and Indy. And they're big. 
and yeah, and they're well, and they're big, but so they can go get buckets in the way that Phoenix can. But they all of the role players supporting that didn't have to do. So that's that's the whole thing with Phoenix. And I'm I'm at the point where very quickly last week I said once the Booker thing happened, I was like, all right, Golden State now. Like that to me, that's the team to pick out of the West. And I'm still there right now. Having well, I think they're going to gentlemen. I heard you guys talking about the Nuggets uh, game in, in Golden State, but I think we all think that's a gentleman sweep. Like Golden State For goes sure. home, takes care of business, and the team that I'm curious about now. So let's say that Phoenix does find a way to get past New Orleans. Well, Luca looked pretty good in Game One, you know, of his Game One, like of Game sure, Four sure. or but Game One of that series, and Dallas lost, but yes, barely. But he. But he also like Brunson had a good thing going as well versus Utah. And there's a degree of desperation, right? Like if Utah loses that game, that series is probably over. So I do think that there's some degree of of context there where Luca did look good on an individual basis. But I do think that they have some degree of like your turn, my turn to work out. And that's not always easy. Maybe, but they played pretty effectively since the Dinwiddie trade with Brunson starting next to Luca and sure. then Dinwiddie coming in. And so... I like I still think that they here here's the point that I meant about Luca coming back though. Like Dallas to me is is good enough to give Phoenix real problems. And yeah. especially if Booker isn't back then. And I I might the way that both teams are playing right now, right? And, and we'll see, like they still have to integrate Luca. They've got the game five at home. But the point is it's it's interesting and it's open now, uh, to a greater degree, even than some thought going into it. And I'm sure there are some real nervous folks in Phoenix. Not just about that game five, which all of a sudden is the pivotal pressure game. And I think mm-hmm. I think typically that's the one, Pete, I've seen that Laker home crowd lift. Game five is the game where the home crowd sure. is at a, f- a fever pitch. And really, because it's the it's a must win, but it's in your building. And if you win it and the series is tight, then you know that you get to come back for game seven if you can't win game six. And that's that's to me, that is enough of a tiebreaker, really. In this series, uh, where where that's again, while I, I will be picking Phoenix, but man, it's it's going to be uh, New Orleans has acquitted yeah. themselves quite nicely, and it's going to be real fun to watch. Going to be a ton of fun, and the thing about those home crowds, I think it depends on what kind of history that team has. Like Phoenix, been bad for a long time. They ain't beat a team that had both their guys in a playoff series since 2010, and if somehow managed to have as many parades as we have in that time despite the fact that we won two titles in that period so if things go a little like new orleans isn't going to be intimidated by phoenix and if things start going a little bit sideways i think those types of crowds also have a little bit of uh oh here we go nervous energy you know where i, I like Get a little tight a little tight, exactly. And New Orleans is going to have to, I think, survive that first wave. But I'm fascinated to see the direction that this series goes in. And one final point before the last segment uh, with small guards, I think we've seen this be a difficult first round for Trey Young and John Morant as well. I think that it's a theme that we've seen around the league, right? Is that it, it gets tough for for smaller guards in in these playoffs? Absolutely, and. Not completely related, but I you made a point that I wanted to just get your quick 30 second to a minute on, sure. on your last pod with Darius. You you had said that Golden State for you, not quite convinced. I'm just I'm just curious why. So I I think Denver is Jokic and duct tape. You know, like Jokic has really put a bad team on his back. They just don't have guys and 
Jokic's like the way that Golden State plays plays into Jokic's biggest weakness, which is his mobility on the perimeter. And like no player is everything, but this is something that against Golden State in particular, you have to be able to you have to be able to switch against Golden State. And so I want to see them against a team that's capable of doing that. I don't think like I think they have a pretty easy path to the uh, to the conference finals. So I don't think that this is really going to manifest for them until then. But Part of that is informed by watching Laker games. I think they're vulnerable to athletic size as well. And so a team that can kind of physically push them around a bit, I'm just not sure that team is out there in the West. Hell, the Pelicans might be the most physical team left in the West at, at yeah, this point. That's, so that's, that's kind of where I'm, I'm at. Saying. But, that, that's, but that's why I think they're coming out of the West, though, you know? Sure. Like they're, yeah, so they're – and then all of a sudden, you know, who's in the East that's – well, the team that's got physical size that would be tough for Golden State to handle – is Boston well and Milwaukee, right? In Milwaukee, yes. But I, right. I but I, I'll spare you. Well, let's spare you Celtics talk uh, for yes. now, as we, they're about yeah, to sweep we, we will the have, Nets. <laughs> yes, we will have we will have plenty of of, of time to discuss. Uh, I can't wait for that second round series between Boston and Milwaukee. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're gonna introduce a new segment. So this is something that we're going to be doing, I think, gradually over the course of the offseason and hopefully to the right degree. It's funny. One of the things I always laugh about, I do this, Darius does this. A lot of times when we're trying to transition to you, Mike, on the show, trying to, to kick it to you, we will preface it with the Mike, you know, you were there. You're on the ground. You have a different perspective. We do this all the time. And I think it's incredibly cool to have Mike's perspective. And he's been there for a lot of classic Lakers moments since. Mike, what was your first year? The 2008 season? Yeah, 0809. 08-09. So that's where we're going to start. We're going to have a new segment that we're going to call True Stories, where Mike tells us his kind of on-the-ground perspective of an event in Lakers history, maybe a person. We'll see what direction this goes in over time. But this is going to be our first true story, and it's going to be the night of Game 5 of the 2009 Finals. The Lakers are in Orlando. They are up 3-1 to one and on the verge of their first title since 2002 and the first uh, Shackless Kobe title. So Mike, you guys are in Orlando. I'm at the Yard House in downtown LA, right across the street from Staples Center, so that if the Lakers win, I can go party in uh, in the streets in downtown, which they ended up doing. But as we always say, Mike, you were there. You're on the ground. Tell us the story of Game 5, the 2009 NBA Finals. Well, the preface of it is the, the Lakers, of course, they win Game 1 in a blowout, right? 100 to 75. Game 2, they're in control for much of it. Orlando does have that like potential tip in uh, chance late in the game. Lakers end up winning by five, though. Like Courtney Lee, I believe, nonetheless. Yep. And you get to Orlando and I had that entire season. Like I was coming in new from the Minnesota Timberwolves the prior season. They won like I don't know, 16 games or 20 games or something like that. And as I've said to you before, I was convinced that the Lakers were going to win the title based off of seeing the finals the previous year against Boston and knowing that Bynum and Ariza were going to come back and then just being around the mindset of that team in, in the end of training camp. And I was like, oh, OK, yeah, this wow, this is this is just happening. This not only is this team physically gifted like this, but the the attitude that Kobe was instilling on everybody and he had had the offseason to kind of get Powell's attention really and get him on board with that. And so I just was I thought this was destined to happen. And so they win those first two games and you're going to Orlando on that flight. And it was like, yeah, 
you know, now I didn't know they were going to take care of business in, for sure in terms of, but it was two, three, two still at the time. All so right. the absolute worst case scenario right there to me was like, you come back um, up, up three to, like I said, it would have been up three to two and just have to close it out. And like, there's no way they're not winning at least one of these three games in Orlando. Yeah. And probably they're going to win two and close out the series. So game three happens and Orlando wins a tight one. Uh, the Lakers don't play their best ball, but then game four is the Derek Fisher three point shot over Jameer Nelson. The Kobe transition pass to Powell, uh, the uh. ridiculous pass that Powell finishes and then getting to overtime another Fisher three and then game five, right? They, they went pretty easily. Uh, 99 to 86 ends up being the final. So the way that it works, and I didn't know this yet at the time, but we were staying in a hotel that was about, I don't know, maybe 20 miles outside of the city and uh, like a nice resort, big open space. And I think that usually we'll stay right in downtown Orlando, but it would have been just a chaos there. And so especially for, from the player standpoint, they want to have a little bit of space and all right, you can go back sort of to a, a home, a home base when you're going to be staying in a city that long. And what this ends up doing, though, Pete, is so after you win the title, it really thins the people that are there to celebrate it. And for me, being lucky enough to be there, this is great, right? Whereas opposed to when you're the Lakers win the next year at home and I'm just scrambling between the locker room, and like trying to write stuff. And all of a sudden, where's everybody going? And there's this post game thing happening there and everybody sort of splits, right? You've got all the families, all the friends. But in Orlando, being there that night, you know, it's basically just the players, the players, families and the staff. And then a couple of people that, you know, from the NBA, a couple of people kind of filtering in. But so I'm, you know, I'm sitting there, get back to the hotel after covering the game. And they're like, all right, everybody, there's a there's a party down in a boardroom X, you know, and it's like, OK, well. This is going to be awesome, right? Again, it's, it's sure. first year. And so immediately there's <laughs> there's you know, there's Kobe and uh, his family. And of course, now it's it's incredibly difficult and sad to think about that aspect of it. But like so I'm watching, you know, Kobe holding his finals MVP trophy with Vanessa and at the time, uh, just Natalia and Gianna are there and like Kobe's holding one, Vanessa's holding the other. And one's got the finals MVP trophy. The other one's got the, the actual trophy. And like wow. Andy Bernstein's there taking trophies. Then then Lamar comes in with his crew and starts to take pictures. Right. Then all of a sudden, here's Josh Powell with a bottle of champagne that he's pouring um, on people's heads. There's Jordan Farmar. There's Shannon Brown. So this is back at that home base at that hotel. This is the guys- hotel. OK, so you guys. If, if, if you don't mind, Mike, can we rewind to there's that famous scene of, you know, right as the final seconds are expiring, you got Kobe jumping for joy yes. in the final seconds and all of that. Tell me about about that and then how you got to the hotel b- before you, you finish the story. Where were you oh, when it. when the Lakers were uh, clinching that title? Well, that so the, the reason why I think I skipped to the hotel and is because I was just feverishly trying to write. And at the time, like tweet and I was writing a post game, uh, a post game story and then the running diary. So I was just I was just like um, super locked in on covering that. So it was like, all right, well, here's what happened in the game. And then, okay, well, who's the finals MVP? But, you know, tweet because we had just started Twitter then basically for that finals. So it was like, okay, wow, Kobe. And I'd have to go back now and look at what I was actually tweeting. But that was really more just observing and covering it like I would any game. And I wasn't I wasn't like down in the court, you know, jumping around or anything. I was sure, sure. I was in full on journalist mode. So I don't have like a great um, story from that. I, I just I will say, though, 
that then getting into the locker room, that was then the first time that the champagne starts pouring everywhere. And, yeah, what's and so that I, like? I wasn't there for that. I mean, that was like, that was, that was, it was awesome, right? It was the, it was the vindication for Kobe. It was all the other guys that had not um, won before aside from Fisher. And it was just this kind of, it was a comp, it was a, a realization of something that had started the previous year and had taken a lot from everybody. And, and so I think there's, there's something a little bit more meaningful to like, if Phoenix did have a chance to, to win this year, the fact that they lost the previous year or when San Antonio lost to Miami and then right. came back in, if you, if you avenge something that's been in your heart and weighing on you for that long, it inevitably has that release of emotion. I think that's even greater than just sort of the, I can't believe we did it. Like we're amazing. Sure. First time champion type team. And so that, that was all going on in the locker room. And I, I remember, so a couple of the bigger guys, like Kobe spoke to the media, you know, in front of the podium, right? They, they bring him up there. But a lot of the other guys, for me, it was about, I'm, I'm in there with Ty Nowell and he had the camera and we're going over to Shannon Brown, right? Who didn't speak in that context. And we're going over to Adam Morrison and we're talking to Josh Powell. And so for me, it was a lot about talking to some of those role players after the podium thing and getting their experiences and their stories and like Shannon Brown crying and then his mom coming into the locker room, mm. you know? So that's, that's Amazing. what stood out to me about that. And, and also just, you know, getting champagne dumped on my head for the first time <laughs> uh, was interesting. Uh, it does. It really does sting the eyes. <laughs> so, so, yeah, well, it's, it's a sweet sting, I'm sure. And so, yeah. so you guys wrap that up in the locker room and then you get on the bus to go back to kind of the, the homestead. Is that what happens after then? Yes, exactly. So, so the locker room, and it takes longer than your typical locker room. So that probably took an hour plus of being in the locker room and just getting everything. And then it's like, all right, buses are going back to the hotel in 10 minutes. Yes, Riggs, uh, you did this. Thank you. And so you get on the bus and I'm back to, at that point, trying to tie up this, the post-game story and and making so that on the bus, I'm still sort of like half working. And then at some point in the bus where I get that all done. And then we're all trying to figure out what's going to happen next. And I think it's it's either the group text or maybe it's even word of mouth at that point. Like, okay, boardroom X or boardroom A or whatever it was. And so basically go up to the room and I don't even think anybody changed. I think it was just drop the bag, go back down. They've got this huge spread of food. Obviously, there's champagne everywhere. There's beer everywhere. And that's when you start to see um, people filter in. And when, you know, when Kobe enters the room, you get the ovation. Right. Hey. From the whole, like, and that, that was pretty awesome. Then, and Powell comes in and you got the ovation. Right. And then, I, I mean, a couple guys probably got up and said something. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I did have a few beverages <laughs> that night. When did you let go, Mike? You, you sounds like you were like intensely in work mode. Yeah. And no, at, the, at, at the, some at point the, you had to switch up in at the boardroom, okay. in the boardroom, gotcha. we let go. And so one thing that I remember, and I have a photo of it, in fact, maybe uh, maybe I'll send it to Jeannie to, to tweet out um, with this with the, the second part of this podcast link. But so Derek Fisher, I had alluded to earlier, hits the shot over Jameer Nelson. And so we're at this point now, everybody's drinking. Everybody's having a great time. And we go over to hold on, buddy. Yeah, we, we go over to he's, uh, we go over to um, this part of the room where guys are just taking pictures with everybody. And I'm like, hey, hey fish. All right. So here's where we're going gonna to set up this picture. Right. So you be uh, you be you. I will be Jameer Nelson. OK. Uh. <laughs> and and so he he literally hold he holds his left hand up like the pose. And uh -huh. I and I just am like a late closeout. Like what do you uh -huh. over him? And so there's just a photo. 
and Ty in the, is laughing in the background of the photo. I've got my hands up and Fish is holding his left hand up. So just like stuff like that, right? Little moments Please from the game. Please send us that photo. Yes. Yeah. I'll send you that photo. It's on my Instagram at some point. Uh, if you if you don't want to go through the Twitter, you can just you can search it. You you'd have to go down probably for a while, but it's one of my favorite pictures. So stuff like that's happening. And then uh, it's just uh, there's a picture of me with Lamar. There's a picture of me with Pow. It's stuff that I would just wouldn't happen now, right now. That but since it was my first year and I was I wasn't doing TV or anything. I was only just like the dot com guy, right? I was very much in mm. the background. Um, it was kind of like nobody really knew who I was. I don't think other than some of the hardcore um, followers of the team. And and so I was really able to kind of and and since it was in Orlando, like I mentioned, it, it didn't happen that same way the next year. Like I was not. It, it's uh, Staples Center at the time. I was not involved in any of that. So that's something I think that I probably will never go through again. And I'll always have this incredible fondness and appreciation for just being able to be a part of it and being able to be a fly in the wall there and kind of celebrating with the the Farmars and the Josh Powells and then going over and essentially like saying thank you to the Powells and the Kobe's um, and the Lamars for that experience that they delivered for everybody. That was awesome, Mike. Thank you so much for sharing. Well, there's there's one last part of it, though, Pete. Oh, please, please. So the next morning, uh, I <laughs> I had mentioned I don't you know, I don't drink a ton. Um, I will I like I will drink, but I usually have like a couple, you know, a couple beers, a couple of wines. Well, I guess what here, let me rephrase. I don't get really drunk often. And in that night, you know, this combination of champagne and exhilaration and, and et cetera. And I wasn't the only one, but so I the, there's a flight out of Orlando the next morning to get back to LA. And I wake up sort of in a panic. I finally hear my phone, even though I had set, <laughs> I had set the alarm and there are like 14 missed calls from John Ireland, you know, uh, like a hundred texts from all these people like Trudell bus is leaving. Like, let's go. <laughs> and I'm like, and, ah! and that's the worst way to wake up too, right? Yes. Like that. Oh shit. Oh, what's going yeah. on? Oh, I and gotta so go. I'm, yeah. And, and so nothing is packed, right? Then typically like I'll pack the night before, right? So I'll just, cause sometimes we used to more often leave early in mornings. Um, now it, we'll either leave a little bit later or we'll just actually go that night. And so I, I swear in about a minute and a half, throw my entire room into a big red suitcase and start sprinting down the hall. And this is, again, this is like a big resort. So, and I just full on sprint, not feeling the best, but sure. at the same time, high <laughs> on life, right? Because of what happened last night. And now had this somehow been like a, a serious loss, it would have been different. But so I'm sprinting after the bus. I see Mitch Kupchak outside of the bus and he's on the phone and not and turned away from where I would be going. And I'm like, okay. So I sprint, throw the, throw the suitcase into the luggage truck and get onto the bus um, to some mix of sort of jeers and ovation um, from everybody else. <laughs> and and again, th the fact that they won, it's like everybody was in a pretty good mood. So sure. um, I, I but I, I will always remember the feeling of waking up and, and just because nobody wants to be that guy. And I, I have not been that guy since I am never um, I have never sort of like the last one to get on or at least not often. And that that's something that just crystallized the whole trip. Amazing. Thank you so much, Mike. I, I can't wait to hear more of these. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, but until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. 
Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.